summer. Number two, it's 150 degrees outside. And number three, it's morning. So everything is working against you being awake. Fight it with everything within you. Now you got it, right? That's all it took. Okay, so we're continuing the series expiration date. And in expiration date, we are looking at things that have a deadline. And some of them are things that don't seem to have a deadline. And, and today is going to be one of those. It's going to feel like, is there really a deadline to this? And let me put it this way. Two days ago, my youngest son looked at me and said, Dad, were you thinking about Abby going away to college? Because you just did that saw you do whenever you think about her going away to college. It's, I wasn't actually thinking about her going away to college at that moment, but he's right. When I think about her going away to college, I, I'm not quite ready. Now, I'm, I, you know, it's time for her to go away to college. She's got two weeks. And yet, it's the bizarrest feeling. If, if you have kids you, and they've grown at all, you know this. It's like, seriously, Abby was this tall last week, and, and now she's 18 and, and going to Auburn, War Eagle. Um, sorry, I don't mean to tick off the... Al- no, actually, I do mean to tick off the Alabama fans, so it's really okay, Beth. <laughs> friends don't let friends go to Alabama. Anyway, <laughs> that was just for Beth. But it's, it's a bizarre thing, because you, you realize if you have a kid... You're, you're really not thinking urgency like, oh, if you have a two-year-old, okay? Those you have a two-year-old, you're not thinking, I urgently have to build into my child's life because they're about to go away to college. You're thinking, I need to get through today. I've got to change diapers, and I've got to, hopefully, they'll nap for a while, and then I can sleep, and somebody yelled out in the last service, and then maybe I can drink some wine. I mean, you have limited goals for your day. But It happens. If you raise a child, you have a defined period of time where they're in your home. Events of my life in the last six months or so have begun to reshape some things about me. They've made things that I theoretically knew become far more important. My oldest daughter going away to school, my mother dying, my father coming to live with us have all begun to reshape how I think about life. I've always known certain things theoretically, and now I realize they're actually important. In other words, I know people are important and relationships matter, and yet too often I haven't lived that way. The events of the recent past have made me want to rethink how I live today, not five years or ten years from now, today. And what I'm not going to do today, I'm not going to tell you that relationships are important. Relationships are important, but that's not really where I'm going. I'd like you to have lovely relationships, big, beautiful, wonderful relationships, but that's not really where I'm going. Where I'm going today is this, simply this, people matter. And so if you want to make a difference in the world, you will build into people's lives. People matter. You want to make a difference in the world, you will build into people's lives, because that's where the action is. Now, if you do not care if you have an impact, if you make a difference in the world, if you would prefer to loiter through your life, then, then you, can, you can just let the rest of this message go. However, if you want your life to matter and if you want to make an impact, then building into people's, people's lives is where it will happen. 
and you will have a limited amount of time in every relationship you have in terms of building into their life. There will be short-term windows where you have an opportunity to build in because something has just happened, and there will be longer-term windows where you have an opportunity to build in, but there is an expiration date. There are deadlines on building into people's lives, and if you miss those deadlines, they don't come back. Some of you will resonate with this. Others of you will shake your heads. I lived my entire school career all the way through PhD thinking if I have a paper due in three months, I should get on that in mm, two months and 29 days. I I like deadlines. I, I function relatively well under a deadline. If it's due in six hours, I'm pretty sure I'll pull it off. If it's due in six weeks, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna leave it alone for a while. There are some real limitations to this, by the way. However, you can pull that off in school most of the time. You really can't pull it off in relationships. You can't pull it off in terms of building into people's lives. You don't get to cram impact in people's lives. If you raise a child and it's two weeks away from them going away to school, you don't go, okay, got two weeks. And in these two weeks, I'm going to download everything. You know, you had 18 years. People matter. If you want to make an impact in the world, you will build into their lives, and there are limited opportunities and limited times, and those times need to be taken advantage of. And if you do, you will change the world because you'll change individual people's lives. Okay, so this morning we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. And... It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, written about 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. And Deuteronomy, in many ways, is a summary book. It, it's saying, okay, this is what we've talked about so far. This is what's happened. Let me summarize. And in this section, what has just been summarized is the, the Ten Commandments and some other laws and rules about how to, how to live well. And after that, in these next few verses, what happens is the writer stops and he focuses and he says, now, having given you all that, here's what really matters. Let me summarize tightly. And this has been an extremely important verse for um, Judaism, and it sums up some core things. This is what it says. And I'm in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. And that first phrase is called the Shema, and it's the Hebrew word for hear. Uh, And in Judaism, for years and years and years, it's been used as a repetitive phrase, something that they believe was at the core of their faith. Hear, O Israel. Okay, listen. In other words, focus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in that phrase, it's not really a numerical thing. It's not saying, hey, it's just one. What it's saying is the Lord is the one true God. He is whole. He's complete. And the core of our faith is our connection with the one true God. Hero Israel, listen to this. When you summarize it, there is a God in the universe, and he is the one true source of goodness and hope 
and beauty. And so if you want to live well, when you sum it all up, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. And the verse actually literally translated says, love the Lord with God with utterly all of you. At the core of Christianity is this concept that human beings were created for God and created for a relationship with him, not created to be in a loose association with God, not created to have a series of rules that we're supposed to follow. And see, that was a bit in the tendency. He's just given them some rules, so it would have been really easy for them to say, okay, so what this is all about is a bunch of rules that I need to follow. And he says, no, no, let me sum up. This is it. You were created for the one true God and the heart of everything about what I teach you is that let utterly all of you, heart, soul, mind, and strength, love God. Have a deep, abiding, complex, and rich relationship with God because he made you for himself. Christianity is at core a relational religion. It is at core the story of the return of human beings back into a relationship with the God who made them through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this passage starts out and says, just remember this. Remember this. Your relationship with God is the centerpiece of your life. Let your whole heart be lived out in love to God because he loves you desperately with everything within him. Then the passage shifts. It's not talking about something entirely new, but it's as if he takes a stone and just flips it. And he says, then, impress these things on your children. Okay, this is the core. This is the heart of it. This is the centerpiece. Impress this on your children. And impress them not in these discreet little moments. Impress on your children when you sit down and when you stand up, when you're at home, when you're on the road. Teach the core things of life, build into your children's life during the course of their life. And the word impress there really, you know the only word, what the word is? It's repeat. Saying repeat the core things that are true to the people who are important to you so that you build into their lives what really matters. Okay. I'm going to tell you three things. I don't like to do tell you three things, but I'm going to tell you three things because there's just three things here. I'm going to tell you three things. This passage is counterintuitive in lots of ways. This is a cross-stitch passage. You know, I don't like cross-stitch passage. This is a passage where it goes like, you know, impress them on your children. When you sit down, when you rise up, and you cross-stitch it and then put it in the wall, and then we ignore it. We don't really function, for the most part, this way. Some of, some of you do. You see... Later in life, I'm coming to realize that building into people's lives, actually individually, is the most important thing that you can do. That the individual relationships that we forge, that we intentionally pursue, and that we pour into, that's where impact happens, that's where life happens. Later, I'm realizing the importance of that. My wife has always sort of gotten that. And so some of you this will be a more of a reminder for you about what you know to be true and that you want to stay laser-focused on. For others of you, this is entirely counterintuitive. Cross-stitched, not often lived. 
the three things that jump out at me about this passage about how do I build in somebody else's life. Let's say I want to have an impact. Let's say I want to build in somebody else's life. But first of all, you have to know exactly what you're trying to build into their life. Most of us meander through relationships. We loiter in them. We have relationships and, and we have fun and we do things. But for example, let me ask you this question. This is not a rhetorical question. I want you to actually think about this question. If you have children and I asked you, what is your goal? What are you trying to build into their lives? Could you tell me? Could you tell me one, two, three things that you believe are critically important that over time you're going to try to build into their lives? If you're married, can you tell me one thing that you're trying to build into your spouse's life? Not one thing you're trying to beat into them, one thing you're trying to build into them. Again, my wife always got this better than I did. Seemed to understand this. There's a, there's a passage in the New Testament toward the end which essentially says this. One of the purposes for people being married is to be a part of the redemption of the other person's soul. We think, why should I get married? Well, I marry you because you make me happy. Whereas the Bible says, I marry you so that I can help you to become all that you're supposed to be. Can you if you're married or if you're in a serious relationship, can you think of one thing about your spouse that needs to be built into just one, please just one, (laughs) that you're intentionally moving into their life to build in? In your closest relationships, in your closest friendships, can you tell me one way that you're building into that other person's life, one goal that you have? See, what strikes me about this passage is the focus on it. The writer says, okay, here's what's true. Now, impress that. Repeat. You cannot repeat something if you don't know what it is. The whole concept of this is I have a defined set of things that I know I want to build into somebody else's life. And so I do so. Too often we meander through relationships. They're fine. Okay, now this normally, I, I don't know that I've ever had a woman say this to me, but I've had men say this to me all the time. What happened? I thought we were happy. I had somebody come to me a while back, and they, and nobody here. I had somebody come to me a while back, and they say, I, I don't know what happened. I thought, I thought we were happy. And then, and, 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 and then they said, we, we, had, we watched movies once a week. We ate out to dinner once a week. I I thought we were happy. She had a different goal than we watch movies once a week. We ate out. Now, most of us would not say that out loud because, quite honestly, it sounds silly. But we act that way. We meander. See, I really think, I really think when I ask you that question, if it was push come to shove and you had to write something down, you might be faking it. You might be like that test question where you're thinking, well, BS is the way I answer this. <laughs> if you want to have an impact in the world, you will build into people's lives. If you build into people's lives, you actually have to know what you're trying to build into their life. Now, that leads to point two, which is, to know what to build into somebody else's life, you actually have to get close enough. This is really tricky. You have to actually be close enough to know them. Because if you don't, you have no idea what to build into their life. 
It's not theoretical, it's practical. These community social gatherings, we had one last night, we have them like quarterly now, they've been phenomenal. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And my wife and I have gone to both and we've, we've, we've met different uh, people and gotten in some, some great relationships just these last two gatherings. And one of the things we discovered last night, see, about six weeks ago, uh, my wife and I had a, a bunch of people over to our house, and, 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 and Nan met, and she knows I'm telling this story. Never tell a story about your spouse without them knowing and, and approving. <laughs> Very important. It's just wrong. Anyway, when Nan and I talked about shit, she said, yeah, it's a great story. Tell this. And, and so she met a guy named Mark. Mark was in the first service. Mark's a great guy. She, she, so she enjoyed meeting Mark because Mark's a great guy. And then we had a similar group of people out. We, we went to a lake house, and we spent the day with them. And one of them was named Paul, who's also a great guy, but Paul's not Mark. Important distinction. There's Paul and there's Mark. But Paul looks kind of like Mark. So Nan walked up to Paul and said, oh, you got your hair cut. And he said, sure. (laughs) And she talked to him. Well, last night, the social gathering, Paul was there. And Nan realized that, okay, Paul and Mark are different people, but now I got them. And then she said, yeah, Paul's the one who had his hair cut. And I said, no, 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 he may not have actually had his hair cut. You understand? They're different people. And then, it's, you know, it's fine. <laughs> so now Paul is Paul and Mark is Mark. And you actually have to spend some time with people. I met people at, at the gathering last night. I, was saying, I, I know them. I've seen their faces, but I couldn't remember their names. It's happened to you all. I've walked up to you, and I've, I can't remember your name. And what does that mean? Well, we probably haven't spent enough time together. You really can only build into somebody's life once you spend enough time to get to know them. You can live with people and not spend enough time to get to know them. You've heard the statistic. I'm going to tell you it anyway. National average, how much time does a mother spend talking to her children during the day? 30 minutes. I think that's an overestimation, got to be honest. How much time do fathers spend? Let's just guess. Five. Good. Pessimist. (laughs) Fifteen. Again, are we thinking overestimation? Yes, we are. Now, I I, I mean, seriously, I, I don't mean to bash at all. But the truth is, you can have kids and not get to know them at all. You can know superficial things about them, but you can actually not know them. You can be married and not know your spouse, and they not know you. You can have a best friend and not really know each other. Hanging around with each other is not the same as spending enough time to get to know the other person. You cannot build into somebody's life unless you know what you're building, unless you actually know who the person is. Third thing, building into people's lives does not happen, generally speaking, in a class. It happens in the actual moments of life where things happen. Let's say you want to teach your kids how to deal with adversity. When should you do that? During adversity. You want to teach someone how to handle success. When should you do that? When they succeed. You want to help somebody learn how to grieve. When should you do that? When they're grieving. You know, this, remember I said this last week? Treat it. Simple, 
and easy are not the same thing. This is simple. I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If you want to build into somebody's life, you're going to do it in the actual moments of their life. It's among the hardest things to do because we tend to want to move away from If somebody deals with adversity, we don't really want to... I'll talk to them later. I've thought back about my life and my upbringing. I love my parents. A different generation. I mean... I love my parents, and, you know, I don't want to say things negative about my parents because I have children, and someday maybe they'll be talking about me. Maybe. <laughs> but here's what I think about my parents. I don't, I don't think they understood engagement in the moments of life. I think they loved me. I know they loved me. I know they were for me. But I think about some critical moments in my life where it probably would have been good for somebody to walk into that as hard as it is and to speak into that moment. See, real growth and building happens in people's life when it's a critical moment and the thing that you have said in the past can now actually be brought to bear in their life. I, I, like all of you, had lots of disappointments growing up. Lots of disappointments. And as I thought back about it, I don't remember my parents ever wading into one of those disappointments unless it was, oh, don't worry about it. But those were the moments that likely I could have been shaped quicker, more whole, more quickly by dealing with those moments. I, I used, I've, I've joked about getting rejected from Harvard Law School because I swear this is what happened. I sent my application. It went through the mail. It hit their desk. As it was going off their desk, they hit rejected, and then they stuck it in the mail, and it was back to me. So it was like I put it in the mailbox, and there it is again, and I'm rejected already. And I've joked about it. It's like, oh, you know, it's Harvard. What are you going to do? That was probably one of those moments where somebody building into my life would have said, so what did that feel like? You joke about it all the time. What did that actually feel like? and the breakups along the way, somebody to lean in. There are core assumptions to what I'm talking to you about today. And one of those core assumptions is we are broken people. We need to be built into. And in the midst of the beauty in our life and the affliction of our life, God creates opportunities to build into us. And individual people who love us and know the power and the impact that they can have in the world we're building in will walk into those moments of beauty and affliction and change someone's life. And so, here's what I want you to think about. Most of you, I joke, nobody wants to go through life with no impact. There's nobody who goes, what are you looking for in your life? Hey, I'd just like to loiter through and just get through the other end and I don't really care if I make a difference at all. Nobody feels that way. I know there's something deep within you, really hardwired, that wants to make a difference in the world. The pathway is different than we normally think. Think about this. Jesus spent most of his life with 12 people. I'm thinking if I was him, I would have gone bigger. I might have waited till they had broadcast media. And now on CNN, Jesus, it seems to make more sense. 
okay, so I'm not in an era of broadcast media. Still, let's go with the big crowd. Now, Jesus occasionally had big, big crowds, but he kept walking away from them. And every time they were like, hey, Jesus, we got some more people. Why don't you come with us? He'd go, oh, I think I'll go this way with these 12. And the others were thinking, we've met some of these 12. They're not that great. You might want to pick some others. And Jesus, with these 12, he walked through his time of impact on earth with 12 people, with all sorts of warts and foibles and brokenness. And he walked into their life. And when they failed, he engaged them. And when they succeeded, he rejoiced with them. And he built those people's lives, one person at a time. How do you change the world? One person at a time. When you do the simple but challenging thing of engaging people in real relationships, understanding how you can build them into more the person God made them to be, and then you walk in in the actual moments of life. At Warehouse, we often say we're not a programmatic church, but that's the negative side of it. We don't do a lot of programs. We don't hold a lot of classes. We hold some. But at core, we believe this, that lives change with individual encounters, with actual relationships, with walking into one another's lives. And so this is my thought for you as to close this message. We're one of the key relationships in your life. Do you know how you're trying to build in? Can you name it? And I'm going to just say this. If you've got kids you need to name it. The younger they are, the better. They're this tall right now. Really, tomorrow they're going to be 18. I promise. So now, decide what you want to build into their lives. If you've been married for six weeks, decide how you, you, you each can build into each other's lives. Do it earlier, not later. Because our opportunities are limited. The time is before us now. Impact happens today when we, by the grace of God, walk into other people's lives. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us to engage more fully with those around us? Well, certainly to enjoy the moments and to find peace and relaxation, but show us how to get beyond the cross-stitch in the wall and to engage in the moments of life with our kids, with our spouses, with our friends, with our parents, with whoever is before us. With the kids who are homeless in the city. Show us how to move past programming to engaging a relationship that builds. The people down our street. Lord, would reshape us to a new way of life, a new way of thinking that knows the simple truth that people matter. God made them for himself. Jesus died for them. If we want to have impact, we walk into their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we move into the back end of our service, which is always intended for us as a time of response. The time when we hear, we listen, and then we respond back to God. And we always begin with our offering. It's a way for us to articulate a core concept, which is that we believe it is God who reaches out to us. He pursues us. He comes after, the, after us. And out of that, we respond with our lives. Mm-hmm.